from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. What's happening, security gang? I've missed y'all so, so much. I took a year hiatus from the show. I took a year to get acquainted with my family. I was part of a very exciting startup that unfortunately uh, didn't make it past 14 months. Um, and so now the time has come after many fanfares going, when is Cisco Talk coming back to bring it back? And I couldn't think of a better first guess. I couldn't think of a better first guest for the first episode than my buddy, my pal, someone who's been on the show multiple times before, Mr. Patrick Benoit, the new CISO over at Brinks as well. So congratulations on the new role, Pat, and welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Always, always uh, good to get together. It's always fun to have you on. You know, the, the, the new show, the first, you know, I've had you on so many times. We've typically gone into an hour, an hour and a half chat. The new season is 30 minute episodes, folks. So, you know. Quick, fast, we're going to get straight to it. But Pat, for, for our first-time listeners, people who may have not heard our previous episodes, which, by the way, will be linked in the show notes if you want to go and you'll hear us talk about you know our, our, our state of cyber that we did with uh, yeah. our good buddy Mark Hopped. I've had Pat on multiple times in his roles at CBRE and, and, and other roles he's had before that. Um, I think you were at Cheetah Digital, weren't you, before? Yeah, yeah, Cheetah Digital was a really fun uh, spinoff from Experian. It used to be Experian Marketing uh, Solutions, and uh, they spun it off and it became Cheetah Digital. Uh, really fun kind of tech working in digital uh, digital communication. So they're the guys that are sending all those emails out about the coupons and the discounts and sending SMS messages and popping up on your screen and stuff. Uh, really so you're the reason I hate my phone and I hate marketers in general. That, that's it. That's it. You so, secured really, them so I can't get to them and stop them. Yeah. So, it, but it really, it was a really interesting experience. They have a, it's just a, it was a fun company um, and it was a good time to be there. You know, um, so, so Pat, for, for our audience, um, how long have you been doing security for? Well, so it depends how you want to measure it, right? And I think you and I have had that conversation before. I've been in technology since the days of vacuum tubes. And <laughs> so, you know, I'm either vintage or antique, depending on how you want to look at it. And, I'm going to go with vintage. Yeah, we'll go with vintage. And, um, you know, I started out in, in programming technology and infrastructure and operations and all that kind of stuff like that. But eventually, as I started to manage, uh, and in the you know mid to late '90s, security started to become a word that people would throw around from time to time, uh, and definitely into early 2000s. And at that point, I owned IT for whatever companies I was with, and so it became like VP of IT and security, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had that in smaller companies, and then eventually went to Dell. When I went to Dell Services, I, again, was working infrastructure for a while and did all that and then became a delivery executive. And as a delivery executive, part of my remit included all the IT outsourced delivery for the infrastructure and security. So, again, you know, I had a person specifically dedicated to security and I was involved in it there. Um, went to Experian and we created this program we called a business executive business partner program, which was effectively a BIO slash VSO role. 
So it was that that intermediary that worked at the business level for both technology and uh, for the CIO and for the CISO. And then, you know, obviously spun off with the deputy CISO and then uh, worked at CBRE running their GRC and BISO program. So official security titles, maybe five or six years. Owning security as a remit, forever and ever since it became real. Yeah, and I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation plenty of times before. You know, being a security practitioner doesn't entail a title. Um, the, re- the, the reason we, we all went into security, I think, and most of our listeners went into security and most first time people that listen to the show are considering or going into security is because we're security minded by nature. Yes. Right. We see something and we're thinking, how could we break it? And then how do I stop it from breaking? How do I stop myself from breaking it? Um, you know, so you and I, we, we've had our share, fair share of disagreements and it's made for lively conversations. Today's podcast is no different. You kind of pinged me and you were like, you're really wrong about this whole Uber CISO breach thing. I disagree with you. And I was like, well, let's have that conversation. And and like many people know, I don't shy away from a debate or a conversation with with different points of view. I think that's the essence of practicing good security. In fact, I think smart CISOs, right? Smart leaders hire people who disagree with them in order to make their ideas better, right? If I can get you to believe my point of view, then by all means... I've convinced the unconvincible, right? Yeah. And you just become a fanboy at that point if you're just agreeing with everything. Well, and, and, you know, there's, I would like to say that, you know, the essence of failure is the consistency of yes. Uh Right. 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 I would Um, agree. And so, so there's that. So, so to give our audience a little background, um, the former CISO over at Uber was charged with felony counts um convicted by a jury of his peers and is awaiting sentencing um for alleged for not allegedly anymore because he's been convicted of it they found him guilty of hiding a data breach and trying to cover it up and um for those who just don't know my views you can go back and listen to any one of the cyber hub podcasts with the title uber on them and you can kind of get my point of view i'm not going to bore you with mine because you'll shortly find out why Pat and I kind of see differently on this. Pat, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Where am I wrong? And, and I think, and, and you know, I would, I would never quote say you're wrong, but I, I think you have framed the charges incorrectly. If you okay. read the actual charge sheets, he was charged with perjury, basically. Lying under oath was one charge. And the second charge was, I, I forget the technical term, but effectively, knowing that a felony was in progress and not reporting it is is effectively what that charge means. So in my mind, when somebody comes to you and says, you're under oath, raise your hand and and you you sort of tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and you decide to lie, that has nothing to do with, with, hey, we had a breach. (laughs) That has to do with, we have a serious ethical problem at that point, you know? Or just weak character, I, you know, and, and I'm willing to extend grace and say he, he felt like he was put in a position that he had no choice but to lie. Okay, fine. But the choice was, I just was told, it's not like I told a lie when somebody just asked me a question. It's, they just told me I'm under oath and I decided to lie anyway. So that's where we differ in that framing of what the charges actually were. So... Yeah, I mean, 
his own people did testify against him, right? And Joe right. Sullivan, you know, to, to frame this for, for full disclosure and for the sake of honest debate, was a federal prosecutor. In fact, he right. was prosecuted by the office he used to run, by people that were his peers and his employees. Um, so he knows better. Yes. Yeah. That's the he standard. knows where the line was, and he stepped over. So, See, to me, my issue, and, and I don't disagree with those facts because I think those are proven facts right. beyond the court, even in the charging paperwork and right. the actions thereafter. I feel like he was scapegoated into this because yeah. the general counsel was should have been charged. The CEO should have been charged. The board of directors should have had held some liability because they all knew semi what's going on and what I felt like, you know, I was watching, um, where's this link? Cause, um, I was watching everything through courthousenews.com, right? And I'll put that link by the way, for people in the show notes, because right. that's where I read, cause that's where people were transcribing what was going on in the trial every single day. And that's what I kind of used sure. for, for point of reference for testimony. They never once reached out to those individuals and really fully deposed them. And then what the judge did allow in evidence didn't afford him a fair opportunity, I think, a defense. Yeah. Um, because they they construed that his conversations with the board and executive leadership would be hearsay, yet everyone talking to him about it wouldn't be hearsay. That, that's true. And, and you know, you, there is this distinction. And again, I, I, I always preface this by saying I'm not an attorney. I'm not a lawyer. I did stay at Holiday Inn Express, but I'm not <laughs> sure that qualifies me. But having said that, there is a clear distinction between what's admissible to determine guilt or innocence against the charge and what's admissible to determine the, the latitude in terms of sentencing. And so to me, those kinds of things where you bring in, oh, well, I kind of was in a bad position. They told me to do this. They told me to do that, et cetera, et cetera. I think those things could be, you know, uh, mitigating factors in sentencing, but it's never an affirmative defense to say somebody told me to commit a crime. I mean, that never flies. <laughs> no, and, and, and I agree with that. I don't think that, again, I, I think that the, the defendant bench should have had at least two more heads on that. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and again, this, it's all semantics and stuff, but we get into this discussion of technically he never got charged with anything to do specifically with the breach. Well, not a single thing. One one Uber was under an FTC consent order at the time. Right. 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 No different than than what happened to, to Mudge over at Twitter. Right. Sure. I mean, now we know this week why Mudge went and became a whistleblower. Right. We're yeah. slowly starting to uncover why Mudge went and signed a deal to become a whistleblower. Yeah, not really, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, be, because likely he saw what was going on with Joe Sullivan. And I think for a lot right. of us as CISOs, you kind of look at that and you go, I'd never do it. Yeah. But then if we're never put in that position, we would never know. I think people do different things when, when they're in a position. It's very easy for us to Monday morning yeah. quarterback this. I say yeah. that about myself as well. I'm concerned and my concern isn't about Joe's innocence or guilt. I trust our judicial system and some people may find that ironic or, or challenge me on whether or not I do, but I do. I believe that our when you're when you're charged and you're in front of a jury of your peers, it is what it is in our judicial system corrects its wrongs, even if they're done later. Even if they're done 20 years later, we've seen our judicial system correct its wrongs over time if it was wrong. 
I'm right. concerned with the precedent this sets in terms of prosecuting information security officers when we don't have necessarily all the legal protections or the, the corporate status to be allowed sure. to defend ourselves. And I think that's yeah. my challenge with, 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 with Joe's case, right? Yeah. I don't think he was given one a fair chance to defend himself. I think he got a short end of a stick. Yeah. Right. Um, they they kind of threw everything at him and let him have it. And then everyone lawyered up, but essentially him, he yeah. had to sue Uber to get money so that he can have legal representation for the charges he got. Right. Right. I mean, they yeah. literally abandoned him. And I think they were part of that decision-making process. I really think Uber cut a lot of corners and used Joe and Joe knew it was wrong. Sure. But what Joe probably thought to himself, and, and I haven't spoken to Joe about this, right? So, so yeah. what Joe probably thought is, I may have a chance. Yeah. Um, they'll back me up. We'll, we'll be yeah. able to say this was a company decision. Board signed off on it. We felt like we could trust these people to pay them a bug bounty program. They would erase the data. There'd be nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And sweep it under the rug, move on because the company was on teeters when this happened to Uber. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that's that's one thing people need to realize. And I think that's all okay up to that point. But he wasn't allowed to present that in court, right? And yeah, I think that's right. part of my problem. Because, and I, and I agree with you, and, and, and I really don't disagree that the way we got there and the impact that's going to come out of it is, is all very valid. Um, but, you know, and, and we, can, we can go over it over and over and over again, you know, once somebody said, you know, raise your hand and swear, it, it, it should have been every man for himself at that point in time. And, and if nobody was advising Joe, he, sh he should have found somebody to advise him that, no, you cannot go perjure yourself in that situation. He should have known better. One, he should have known better. He should have. If he was a prosecutor, he should have known better. You're right. He uh, should have known. But I, the I, impact I I don't fault him there and I don't fault the charge to do it right? because our judge justice system is, is one very clear thing, right? Um, yeah. You know, um, no one is above the law in this country. Right. 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 And I know we're in a tense political time right. and some people may say, James, that's BS. There's, you know, that's not what, no one is above the law in this country. Him being a former prosecutor, I think the standard was higher expected of him. And therefore that's why the charges came. Probably true. Now he should have settled this. Yeah. He sh this should have never gone to trial. Yeah. Right. Number one. Number two. Um, when things started to escalate, he continued to lie, and he should have came clean. Yeah. 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 And and I think that's there. There's one thing about being caught in a lie and coming clean, where right. there's a tendency to want to work with someone who does that. You and I have been right. in those positions right. in leadership, where you may have had an uh, someone on your team who's, you know, misled you in a way you catch them in it. And if they come out of it, they, they admit their fault. They come out of it. You go, it's a teaching moment, move on. If they don't exactly. understand their story, exactly. and that's someone who you're, you're potentially now talking to HR about replacing, terminating, putting them down on, on, on some sort of corrective action. And really that trust that was built over time is gone. And I think that's what that's what ultimately happened to Joe. The real big point you bring out, though, that's important is, is, is the impact it's going to have. Because what it's going to cause is for CISOs, well, two, two things. One is misplaced faith. 
You know, if, if you ever think that your company is going to make a decision and throw themselves under the bus for you, then you've missed the point. And that's not that they're being bad people. That their interest has to lie first in the stakeholders in the company, period. So you will always fall last if it comes down to that fine a decision. So don't misplace that faith. And the second is, yeah, there's going to be a lot of CISOs out there, especially those that have not been in, in, in significant executive positions over time or leadership positions where they are willing to stand up for that leadership, that, that ethical position, that are going to run scared. And as a result of running scared, they're not going to always make the best decisions going forward for the program because right. they're going to be making decisions to protect themselves, not necessarily the best decision to protect the company. And 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 I think the effects of Joe are already felt. And, and I brought up that yeah. one example. I think Mudge, I think the reason Mudge became a whistleblower at Twitter, I think the reason Parag, the the, the moment Parag fired him, he became a whistleblower. He he went because he knew. I mean, Twitter is under an FTC consent order. Right. We now know that they're going to have to deal with the fallout of this. And, and I think, you know, my hope is with the Twitter case. I think there's, there's an opportunity for the San Francisco federal prosecutors, the California federal prosecutors yeah. to do corrective action here. There is go yeah. after Parag because, and Jack Dorsey, because they knew all of this sh stuff was going on in yeah. Twitter. Yeah. He wouldn't sign off on it, so he resigned. He got fired, a.k.a. resigned, got fired, whatever the case may be, and go after those CEOs for hiding this or trying to get their security team right. to not report this. Um, and I think with his whistleblower complaint and the evidence he's got, if they don't charge the leadership at Twitter, the former, not the current leadership of yeah. Twitter, but the former leadership of Twitter, if those guys, if you and I don't wake up one morning and the – highlight of my cyber hub podcast is Parag gets arrested for, for forcing much to lie or, or asking much, you know, much to lie and much refusing to do so. And, and he's not being charged with, you know, perjury obstruction, right. Yeah. Uh, defying a consent order. Um, that'll be a sad day. I think that's, yeah, where, and, and, that's and the I collective think, action. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a, I hope to never be in that position, just like you said, but it, it, it's a tough thing to believe that you know karma and the universe is going to take care of you when you have to walk away from a, a you know well-paid job that you've been at for any number of years and what's that going to mean for the short term for you and your family you know so that's that's to me different level so not an exact comparison but you know if somebody goes out and steals bread to feed their family uh, you know, I, I have to treat that with a different a different view of grace. Did they commit a crime? Yes, they did. What's the outcome? What's the consequence of that crime? Maybe then I can show some, some compassion at that point. But I always try to just apply my four rules. And if you haven't read the book, I'll plug the book. It's an old book. It's called The, the Four Agreements uh, by Don Miguel Ruiz. And basically four rules. And I tell my team this at the very beginning always. Number one. Highest integrity, always be as honest as you possibly can. And I tell them, I will tell you everything I can tell you. And if I can't tell you, I will tell you, I can't tell you. Number two, nothing is personal. So when James gets up in the morning and uh, calls me on the phone and starts ranting at me about, you know, how, how much he dislikes something I've done, 
it's not it's not me, it's James. So don't take it personally. That doesn't mean I have to take it. I can say, look, James, when, when we can have a civil conversation, let's continue. But it, it's not about me. It's about what's going on with James. And number three, never make assumptions. Make observations, gather facts, gather information, and make an informed decision. Best decision you can make with what you have, but don't assume. Listen first. And the fifth, the fourth, always do your best. But if you're always doing your best, then how can I ever fault you? I can come to you as a leader and say, you know, your best isn't good enough. So I either need to train you better, give you more of the tools that you need to be better. But I can't look at you and say, you're not doing, you know, you're nothing. You're doing your best. So it's up to me to make you as a leader to make you more productive. Then. So that's the four, my four rules, four agreements. That's beautiful 90 seconds, by the way. Like, like brilliant 90 seconds right there. That's going to become a short clip for this podcast, right? Because that's just beautiful 90 seconds about, about four rules and about leadership that I think is so critical. You know, yeah. looking, looking at, you know, we, we kind of we talked a little bit about Joe. You know, I've talked a bit about Mudge and, and I'm, I'm watching the Twitter one really, you know, closely at this point um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but, but I think that the, the Twitter's the corrective action for, for a lot of us in security is, you know, if bad leadership undermines security, is bad leadership going to face the consequences like right. Joe did, right? right? Parag, as CEO of the company, knew very well they were under FTC consent orders at Twitter. Right. He knew full well that there were people that were impacted by this. So, you know, it'll be interesting. And something tells me there was a clause in the acquisition between Elon Musk and the Twitter leadership around the FTC fines that are going to be coming as a result of this coming yeah. off of their, you know, coming off of their escrow, the 44 billion he paid for the it's company. It's as if we learned nothing from Enron though, <laughs> nothing. You know, no. And, and, and you kind of see the same with FTX and so many other yeah. others. I mean, I mean the crypto market crash to me in security is potentially um, the last two weeks have potentially been the most interesting when it comes to how cyber criminals are now operating, right? right? Because what, be what was very traditionally Bitcoin and crypto, um, with the market crashing, the value of crypto going away, and the fact that a lot of people are cashing out their wallets or, or lost all of their money, you know, um, and liquidity has gone. I mean, multiple BlockFi just went bankrupt as well. Right. I mean, the, 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 you know, FTX is kind of, the 2008 market collapse, you know, where, where, you know, FTX, you can consider them Lehman Brothers. Once Lehman Brothers went down, it was just a, it was just a row of companies where almost AIG failed and, and, and so many others that Bear Stearns uh, that, that went out as well. Um, you, you can look at, you know, what's going on in the crypto market now. It's very interesting. And I think as a CISO, this is a really interesting point because as criminals look for other means of payment outside of crypto because crypto no longer has the same protections and value. Uh, what does that mean to the negotiations you now have with criminals? And could we be looking at a return of money laundering through, you know, the, what I like to call the good old send it to, you know, multiple bank accounts and, and hope one of them, you know, doesn't get blocked by a secret service in time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, really interesting. All right. Uh, Pat, we're going to get to the fun part of the show, my okay. favorite part of the show. Um, we, we've got a few minutes left, and I want to take full advantage of it. Um, we're, we're wrapping up 2022. 
2023 is coming along. My famous buzzword graveyard. You've you've buried a bunch of words in the buzzword graveyard. What word would you bury for 2023 in the buzzword graveyard and why? You know, there's probably a couple. I would I would probably lean towards burying uh, ransomware as a as a buzzword because it doesn't do justice to what's really happening. It's become an overarching, you know, uh, um, uh, term that's just thrown out there, helter skelter, about somebody got into your network and they encrypted your files and they're going to charge you money. Well, it, it, it's way more complex than that because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't tell you about the fact that you know they got into your network because of, of some vulnerability or or vector that was left open because you're not paying attention to your basic uh, hygiene to begin with. So it it it's kind of and, and now we're starting to use it as it is a victim crime. Don't get me wrong when I say this, but it's a victim crime that. Um, if, if we would pay attention to our basics, at least we would have a better chance of preventing it. But just like any attack, you know, the attack vectors for ransomware are the same attack vectors for virtually every other attack that we have. So um, I think we're holding it up to this high standard as it's something special. And the reality is it's, it's more complex than that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You said you've got a few words. What, the first one was ransomware. What's the second one? Uh, I would probably go with zero trust. And again, because it's a it's a word that is thrown around and marketing buzz, much like AI used to be. That was one of your favorites too, uh, AI and ML. And um, it's thrown around. And in that throwing it around, we misplace the fact that it's a concept. It's not a specific you know, put these four bolts and nuts in place and you have zero trust. It is a concept on how to architect and how to design and how to build your systems and, and run, manage your systems. And we lose sight of that because every product we have out there has got zero trust stamped across the front as if it was keto now, you know. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Microsoft... Uh and Palo Alto drinking well, right? When you've got yes. two two very big companies now pushing everything around zero trust and they're, I mean, the I just did the Microsoft CISA workshop yeah, um, and it was all around zero trust architecture around Azure, right? Yeah. Kind of how to leverage Azure Active, you know, Azure ED and all the different kind of tools and security tools within, within Microsoft for a zero trust network. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, I agree with you around zero trust. It's 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 really a philosophy rather than a buzzword. Um, it is. It's it's often misused. Our good buddy George just wrote a book on it. Um, you know, um, over at SMU. Um, yeah, um, George Finney. Yeah. Yep. So so George Finney just wrote a book around Z Project Zero Trust and whatnot. And I and I think you know, um, in George's book, he kind of nails what zero trust is really all about beyond the buzzword and beyond the hype. The challenge is, I think you know, CEOs of, of, of cybersecurity vendors, AKA, you know, the good ones are our security partners will probably yeah. buy his book to their marketing team and say, understand what this is. Yeah. yeah, Right. Read and stop putting it on our website, you know, and, 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 and marketing it thinking it's going to get us anything. It's not, it makes you feel good, but really it creates head shakes in, in exactly. meetings. Exactly. So, 
So, so Pat, what's the, what's the book you're reading right now? Are you reading anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, I actually am. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's a book called Make Noise. And, and funny thing, you, you will appreciate this. It's, uh, it's specifically uh, targeted at, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the name for you here. It's Make Noise, a Creator's Guide to Podcasting and Great Audio Storytelling. It's by a gentleman named Eric Newsom, N-U-Z-U-M. And what's so fascinating about it is he is focused on the idea of podcast, but he's really focused on the idea of audio storytelling. And he has a whole section on storytelling and themes and characters and, you know, pro uh, uh, protagonists and, and uh, you know, complications and resolutions and twists and all that stuff like that. And so I think it's a very, very good book for any CISO that wants to learn to tell a story. And if you're not a CISO that wants to learn to tell a better story, then you probably shouldn't be a CISO because our whole life is about telling stories. I, I couldn't agree more um, about being able to tell a story um, and being able to explain yourself and explain what you're doing. Um, right. You know, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Finally, Last song. If if you pulled up your iPhone right now, you're looking at your at, at your music. What's what's the last thing you listen well, to? It wouldn't be on my iPhone, but it would be on my uh, Oculus headset because uh, when I worked out this morning, the last song I uh, did uh, some boxing to was a song called "Ready for Your Love" by Gorgon City. So there you go. That's <laughs> off the beaten trail, right? <laughs> love it, love it, Pat. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. I really appreciate you. Um, Good luck in your new position over at Brinks. They're lucky to have you. Um, you're, you're one of the brightest voices we have in our community. So grateful to be able to share it here with you. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity and the honor to be on the show. And, you know, we always have a great time. And anytime, anytime, anything you need, just let me know. I appreciate you, Patrick. Thank you all for sure. tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe to Sista Talk. Share this episode with your friends, colleagues, anyone who you think would get benefit from it. Um, and Pat, you're on LinkedIn, correct? Correct. Correct. It's, uh, I think on LinkedIn, it's under Patrick L. Benoit, B-E-N-O-I-T. Awesome. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll link Pat's uh, LinkedIn, but please don't spam them um, in the show notes as well. But please don't spam them for the sake, <laughs> for the love of all things precious. <laughs> please don't spam Pat. Thanks y'all. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to Sissa Talk. Take care. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.